Welcome to today's online message from Long Eaton Oasis Christian Centre. We are a church at the heart of the community, with a heart for the community. And we're so glad that you've joined us. We hope that you'll be inspired and encouraged today. Please don't hesitate to contact us. If you want to find out more, you can visit our website, www.longeatonoasis.co.uk, or you can direct message us. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. And if, I would say nice to see you, to see you nice if you, were, if you go back that far. But it is brilliant to see you today. And if you're here for the very first time, which there are quite a number of people maybe today for the first time, welcome. And if you're here and you're regular here, welcome. It's great to be together as believers from our different walks of life to assemble together. This is what church is, ecclesia, the assembling, the gathering together of individuals and families and homes across the area and across this, this town and, and, you know, Chilwell, Breeston and further afield. It's just good to be able to gather together. So, um, Luke Gratton, he'll be coming on the 29th. I encourage you to come and hear him. Compassion is an amazing organisation doing an incredible work, something that we as a church have begun to catch uh, the vision for. And when he was with us last year, he was pretty overwhelmed by the sort of response that there was in the life of our church and the generosity. So we'd love you to be able to come and hear him, maybe for the very first time, and join us. So I'm going to continue this morning in a series that we are looking at as a church, and um, it's called God Meant It for Good. And we're looking at through the life of Joseph. It's in the book of Genesis. And I want to look at chapter 39. So uh, uh, we're going to read a chapter together. Just sit back and listen. Enjoy. If you have a Bible with you, then you might like to turn to it. If you have it on a tablet or a smartphone, you can turn to it. It's not going to come up on screen, the sort of size of the chapter. I'd encourage you to to bring a Bible or to bring your smartphone or your tablet or whatever you can read. And if you don't, then it's still okay. You can just sit back and listen. So I'm going to dive into it straight away. The theme is temptation this morning. And we're going to look at Joseph. And we're going to look at this together for a moment or two. Now, in verse chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who were taking him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of this Egyptian master. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in the eyes, in his eyes rather, and became his attendant. His attendant was his right-hand man. It's quite an incredible story. Still a slave, but his right-hand slave. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, Potiphar would have been a very rich man. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had to Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. He didn't have the care of the world. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said to him, Come to bed with me. But he refused. 
With me in charge, he told him, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. That's a pretty big statement to make. And his master's wife was a powerful woman, a wealthy woman. And for him to say this was quite incredible. Still a slave. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife had told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Remember, Joseph was a right-hand man. Joseph became a powerful man, but he was just a slave in his master's sight. He rose and burnt with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He gave him success in whatever he did. Temptation. Joseph was sold into slavery. This was in last year, at the end of last year, was sharing the story of this and how Joseph was an apple of his father's eye, but his brothers turned against him. And we were looking at what can happen in dysfunctional families at the, towards the end of November of last, last year. And we now come to a point in Joseph's life where his brothers banded together and they sold their brother into slavery. They were going to kill him. But they, they decided rather than do that, they'd make some money. And they sold him to some Ishmaelites. These are traveling uh, uh, Arabs uh, at that time. And he was taken into slavery. And so we, we pick up the story where he's now in Egypt. And he's been sold into slavery and bought by a, a rich man called Potiphar, who was captain of the king's army, Pharaoh's army. And Potiphar had been captain of Pharaoh's army. He was a powerful man, an incredibly wealthy man, and a man of prestige and a man of great power, captain in the king's army and um, so Joseph is, is now in his and, and, and so Potiphar begins to see there's something special about this man Joseph such to the point that he makes him in charge of everything he becomes like the captain of his household which is quite a thing for a slave but 
He was still a slave, but he was a, a, a powerful slave in, in Potiphar's household. And, and uh, during this time, and so this is quite an amazing story, but he was still a slave. You've got to remember, his life wasn't his own, even though he'd now his life had become a lot better than being left in a pit to die, but he was still a slave. And during this time, Potiphar's wife, the lady of the house, a powerful lady herself, sees Joseph, takes a liking to him, and then seeks to seduce him does this over a length of time, coming back again and again. And, and the Bible is pretty straightforward. It, it, she uses the language, come to bed with me. You know, but this is over a length of time. The thing is with seduction, uh, it's something that you do pick up on. A person will pick up on. It, uh, and um, this is where temptation can come in. Yeah, the look of an eye, uh, the smile, the brushing of somebody going by. Uh, seduction is subtle, and with her, it got to the point where it became over a length of time. It became very forceful and brazen, and uh, and we pick up the story at this point. But with Joseph, what he does, he he resists her. Uh, to the point where it says he wouldn't even be alone with her, which is pretty incredible. He got to the point where he said not only did he resist what she was saying to him, but he decided that he wouldn't even be found alone with her. And there comes a point where she looks for an opportunity when there are no other servants, and she hijacks the situation, as it were, uh, some months later. And this is where we pick up the, the account. And so he's been refusing her, and now he runs from her. And he runs out of the house. He doesn't runs for it. It's, it's a pretty stark thing to do, but he gets out of the situation, takes himself out of the situation, and during that time, he drops his cloak. And so she picks up his cloak and then makes an accusation against him. It was false. It would have been an accusation of, at best, indecent assault, which isn't best. At worst, uh, attempted rape, perhaps. I don't know. But this is the sort of accusation that she was making and so then uh, her husband when he comes back understandably you could see burns with anger and this man Joseph is just a slave even though he was a powerful one is put into prison and the prison was a place where you were left to die the king's prison was a place where you were marked for death it wasn't just that you know you'd be in prison and then they'd have a little chat with you and would they let you it was it, wasn't a, it was a bad place. Prison's a bad place anyway, and in those days was a bad place. But this was a place where you were marked to die, and you were, you were tortured, and you would die. Some things I just want to take a few moments to share, some practical things for you and I and for our lives. And the first thing is, is, um, uh, is, is this, is when Joseph um, is approached by Potiphar's wife, uh, he says this, you know, your husband has given me everything except you because you're his wife uh, and, and I'm entrusted with everything. And then he goes on to say this, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? The first thing is this, and I find this interesting. I've read this account so many times and over the years and Joseph says, look, this is a terrible thing. Your husband has given me everything. You're his wife. And he could have stopped there and said, you know, this is a terrible thing to do to my master's wife. He's given me everything. But this is probably the key to, to his life. He says this, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph has a relationship with God. This is the key to temptation. This is the key to your life and my life. 
and where we go in life and how we navigate life and how we navigate the challenges of life and the temptations of life. Not just temptation, but the challenges and circumstance of life is the key is our relationship with God. It will be our relationship with other people, obviously. And Joseph's relationship with his master was a good one. His master had entrusted him. And so you could have just stopped there and say, I'm not going to do this to my, my master. You're his wife. He could have stopped there and said that. And that would have been a big thing, a moral thing. But it was more than a moral thing. This was a God thing for Joseph. And the key to Joseph's life, and we shall see as he navigates prison, he navigates death, he navigates being left to rot for many months and years, is this, that he has a relationship with God. He trusts God. He knows God. He has a relationship with God. And for you and I, this is vital. This is critical. This is the most important thing. Your relationship with each other is important. Your relationship in in church life with other Christians, it's important. Your relationship with a local church. You know, if you're saying that Oasis is the church that I'm part of, that's important. Your relationship with, with, you know, pastors and leaders, you know, it's important. But it's not the be-all and end-all. The greatest importance is your relationship with God. Our relationship with God. My relationship, you know, I serve, Andrew and I and others, we serve you the local church, and my relationship with you and our relationship with you is important, but I'm not defined by those relationships, my relationship with God. I get referred to as Pastor Adrian, Andrew, Pastor Andrew, but I'm not defined of being Pastor Adrian or Pastor Andrew, but my relationship, I'm just a son of God. I'm a man, and I'm I'm just God's, and that is the importance to our lives. It's it's what will help us navigate life, take us through the highs, so it doesn't go to our head. Take us through the lows so that we don't go under my relationship with God. Your relationship with Jesus. So, you know, when you, I sign for people's um, passport, what is your profession? Minister of religion. I never like saying that. I much rather say minister of a relationship with God. But I don't think that would get past the passport <laughs> office somehow. But so it's not religion. We all say that. We say, I'm not religious. It's a relationship. So what are you doing about your relationship with God? What am I doing? I've said this is the year I, I've, say, I've been saying, and I do feel, you feel, feel it this morning, not governed by feelings, but there's a flow. This, last year was a year where I felt drift, and I wasn't being negative about our church, but there's a year we came, and we, we sort of drifted back, and, we, and I felt I was drifting along. But this year, I felt the Holy Spirit say, towards the end of last year, will be a year of the flow. And what am I doing to get into the flow of God for my heart and life? And it's my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with God, my relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I would say to you, what is your relationship with God? I know, I know, so you say, I'm a Christian, brilliant, or, or I'm interested in God, fantastic. I'm open to God, amazing. But, you know, I became a Christian, hey, quite a long time ago now, <laughs> 39 years ago. I'm a little bit older than 39, but 39 years ago. And I want my, and and you know what? I feel God speaking into my heart today, saying that your relationship today, Adrian, is is growing, it's need to grow, to get deepen. And yet I remember that very first day when I became a Christian. The first day, the sky was bluer, the sun shone better, the birds sounded out. Yeah, oh, that, that, that twitter of the bird. But today is the day as well. And today, what is your day like? What, and what, what are we? What am I? I'm not saying you have to do lots of stuff, but 
I'm, my relationship, so my relationship with my family, with you, we've got to talk to each other, my wife, Helen with me, my, you know, we talk, we want to spend time together, quality, your relationship with God. And, so, and I, it, I've read this passage so many times, and it's that that struck me. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It was important that his master would get, the master in his house had the power of life and death over him because he throws him in prison. But he says the most important is God. I find that incredible. It shows me that Joseph had a deep and growing and continual relationship with God. And so too for you and I, nothing else must come in the way of our relationship with God. G.K. Chesterton, great writer and thinker, a pastor and teacher and philosopher, said this, when men men and women, when men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. When we stop believing in God, we don't believe in nothing. We end up believing in anything and everything. The world in which we're in is now awash. It's finding your anchor. It's finding our place. It's on the move. And we end up finding everything and anything. Does it work? How will it work? It's when we stop. And so our relationship with God is so important. Second thing that I would say, and for you and I this morning, and we've been talking about that you know, as a church and, and growing in that, and we've shared on that, and, and it's so, so important today. Second thing is this. Um, it says that he ran out of the house. Do you see that there? That when she said to him and she hijacked him, he, he ran. He didn't even falter and stay for a moment. And so much so that he, he dropped his cloak. I remember many years ago being pastoring in Aberdeen and coming into contact uh, on the area that we were pastoring in. Uh, it was a challenge of an, an area and a number of people fighting and challenged the challenge of, alco- of alcohol. And there was one man who said, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm taking each day as it comes. And there was a pub in Aberdeen called the Schooner Inn. I won't, rem- I won't say this man's name, but uh, so I, we spent some time in just praying the baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying with him and standing beside him. And uh, his wife pleaded with the, her husband to never walk past the schooner. If he walked past the Schooner Inn, he'd end up walking in. But if he took a detour of about a mile away from the schooner, he wouldn't walk in. He was a good man, good heart, but he, he relapsed a number of times. And, and it says of Joseph that he, 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 he ran away, got away, put distance. You know, temptation is different for each of us. You might say, well, that, you know, I would never give in to something like what Joseph experienced. But for you and I, we face temptation I, as an individual, and you as an individual. And what might tempt you might not tempt me, but what might tempt me might not tempt you. And this is the thing about temptation. Temptation is different for each of us. It's what goes on in your and my head and heart. And that's where these things are planted and take root and grow. And you can do something about it. It, Temptation is challenging. It's intoxicating. It's magnetic. It pulls whatever they might be tempted to run away from or run to. And it goes on in the head and the heart. Uh, Now, it's interesting because uh, uh, James, the, the writer James, in James chapter 1, verse 14, says this. Each 
person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by his own desire. James 1, verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Desire is the heart and the mind. Jesus talks about looking, thinking about it, and then mulling over and desiring. And he says, you've sinned. If you look at another woman, he's talking to men at that moment. And likewise, the other way around. It's in the head and the heart. It, there's, an, there's an action, there's something we see, something that comes towards us. It says, each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by his own desire. James 1.14. In Colossians, Paul writes this, something similar, but in, from a different angle. He says this, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. He's not saying you have to be super spiritual, that you're no earthly good. Oh, I don't do that. I can't do anything practical because I'm, I'm only called to pray. Only pray. Prayer is amazing. But you're not so spiritual that you have no earthly good. He's not saying that. He says this, set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. In other words, set your heart, your mind, your desire on the things that God speaks into your life. The kingdom of heart of God, the rule and heart of God, not on this age. So that you can live in this age. So that you can live your life, live your marriage, live your home, do your work, earn, earn, um, enjoy life. But don't set your desires on what we see and what we get and on this earth and by this earth. Because they're shifting and changing. But set your desires. And there is an interesting thing. It's in our hearts and our minds and it's what we desire that is so incredibly important. So he says, set your hearts on those things. And so we see with Joseph, his, his heart was captured by God. And so we too are called. And these things go on. And so, you know, I, you, you'll, hear, you'll hear of uh, such and such a, a church leader no longer in that church because of something's happened in their marriage or something's happened with finances. And these things start in the heart and the mind and then they become... Maybe you're tempted to give up on something. Walk away from someone. It might be the right, it might not be the wrong, the right thing to do. Temptation, whatever it might be, it's a desire in the heart. We're called to set our minds on things above, not on things of this earth. In other words, then, open our hearts to God our love for him, know his love for us. Know the word of God that says transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why we shared last week a little bit about starting the year in the word of God. And we gave a practical, simple practical way. One chapter of the New Testament each day will mean that you read the New Testament in the entire year and begin to think in your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming your heart and mind. Third thing, one more after this and we're close. He was falsely accused. So we see there that he, he, he um, wouldn't sin against God. So he, he had cultivated his relationship with God. He ran from the circumstance. It, his mind on, on God's heart and, and not on just governed by this world and was aware of what goes on in the, the heart and the mind. Uh, the, 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 the third thing that we see, he was falsely accused. Um, you know, it... it 
Potiphar's wife accused Joseph and told everybody else that this man attempted to come into my bed. She's, she's it's, you know, talking of, like I said, sexual assault or attempted rape. I don't know. But it wasn't true. It was accused. Now you might say, what's that got to do with me? I think that we are living in an age where being a Christian will mean that you come under false accusation just by being a Christian. And I'm not being negative. I'm not seeking to be negative because I think we're living in an age of great opportunity. I think we're now coming into an, a season, a time, where there is a real opportunity for a fresh flow of the Holy Spirit. As Sue was saying about you know, coming up the hill with the help of the Father in the Father's arms. And I think as we approach our lives in God's arms, the Father's arms, I think you'll find there'll be a fresh flow of the Holy Spirit. People talk about we need miracles. There'll be a fresh release of the miracles and power of the Holy Spirit. But in the midst of that, there's going to be a time of fresh accusation. I say that because we're now living in a post-Christian, almost we don't believe, but we're believing everything and anything world. Some people would say that we're coming back to a sort of a pagan world again. You think pagan? You think of Stonehenge and running around and, and doing a circle around Stonehenge. And we're a pagan. pagan in the sense of that we believe in all things and everything. And we don't believe in the living God, his son Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I have to say, and, and being a Christian, and so in the, the early Christians were accused of incest and free love because they had the love feast and they spoke about the love of God. But they didn't really, pagans didn't understand that there wasn't, it wasn't free love and incest. It was about the, the, the new love of the power of the Holy Spirit. But they were accused of all sorts of stuff. The early Christians were accused because they wouldn't bow down to Caesar as being unpatriotic and uh, rebellious and they needed to be exterminated from the state. You think that's over the top? We're entering an, a, a rapid era. So our pandemic seems to have speeded up the process of what maybe takes 10 or 15, 20 years, accelerated in a few years. And so I'm not prophesying gloom and doom. I'm just saying uh, experience. And so organisations, um, there are Christian organisations that are like Care for the Family, the organisation Care that lobby Parliament with a, 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 a Christian worldview, the Christian Institute. I phoned the Christian Institute recently and was talking to them about some the, the legal grounds that there are today uh, in the areas of marriage. And as an evangelical, charismatic Christian, our denomination... Our group, we believe this. Where do I stand legally now? Because there's challenges coming and accusation. And that they were able to talk me through some things. We are in a season, and, and, and we're not to be surprised. And I'm not talking that you stand on a soapbox and start shouting at people and the police have to come because you're being a bit of a religious crazy. Just, just saying, I believe what the Bible says about marriage. In the beginning, God made them, male and female, in the image of God. He created them. To say that 
you probably experience it. You can have vociferous. You're phobic, homophobic, transphobic. And then not just words. When you're faced with that, and someone then says, well, you know, we'll test you, we'll take you to court, pastor. We, so, so I'm not seeking to paint a bad picture. I, I, I'm just, and I think being a Christian and believing what you believe, we often talk about let's believe what we believe. And I'm not saying stand on a soapbox and, and decry people. Love people. In the power, but now the interesting thing was this. In the pagan world, when the early Christians stepped out from the upper room in the power of the Holy Spirit, it was in fear of pain of death and miracles were released, and the Holy Spirit moved in power. And so too with you and I. You know, we're entering a period where I believe we're going to see equally miracles, the power of the Holy Spirit, not just confined to nice meetings, but in everyday walk of life. But it might mean that we get accused, imprisoned, not some, you know, maybe, maybe you won't, but I hope I'm not, but, you know. But it'll be in the power of the Spirit. I, I feel that, you know, false accusation and accusation may come our way and may come your way. And you, won't, you might be against the tide, not aiming to be against the tide at work, and think, oh, do I just keep quiet about that? Will that wind everybody up? You know, will it, will it wind up the other nurses and, 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 and the, 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 the sister or, or my manager to hear that I'm, that I'm homophobic or something? You know, will that paint me in a... You know, well, 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 you know, are they going to think I'm some sort of crazy Bible-bashing freak? And then, and then but that, that, that's fine if they do think that, maybe. But when they start to say, you can't say that. How dare you? And be vociferous and start to threaten you. And say, you know, it's discrimination. I'll, I'll go to the manager regarding. It starts to become a little bit, doesn't it, frightening. But the Holy Spirit is the helper Comfort, advocate. He's an advocate for a reason. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take courage, take heart. I have overcome. And he sends the Holy Spirit so that we can overcome. In the midst of challenge, we know the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what Joseph experiences. He experiences accusation that takes him to a point where he ends up in prison. He could say, God, I've stood up for you. This wicked thing that's been done to me, where are you? Maybe he did pray a bit like that initially. Here I am, stuck in, stuck in prison. I'm going to rot and die in, in here. But in the midst of his prison, he felt the presence of God. And so you read in this, the account there, it says there, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. I think when we become accused and people start getting wound up, as long as our hearts are filled with grace and the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have a relationship with Jesus, I think you're going to, we're going to know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of your circumstance. In the midst of your prison, in the midst of that dark place, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your accusation at work, or wrongful accusation perhaps at work, or in the midst of your um, sickness that has come your way, the pit that seems dark around you, there can be light. Now, we all believe that as Christians. At Easter, we'll say, you know, death, the resurrection brings life. You know, in, 
the dark Jesus is the light of the world. We, we, we believe that. We, but that's absolutely right. And Joseph experiences that. And I don't want to end up with something that it goes bad in my life, but in those points in our lives when, when sickness comes our way, when a doctor... So, so even, for, no, even for me, for, for me recently, um, I've visited the GP more than I have in, I don't know, 30 years. I said, oh, you might have this, you might have that. Nothing bad sort of thing, but... But even, so I think, oh, healing and Lord and why and... But in the midst of challenge and difficulty of life and things that come our way, we may know his presence. That's what I'm saying. Just because because things sometimes will go wrong for you and me, and just because you find yourself in a dark place, doesn't mean to say you're a bad person or you lack faith and Jesus isn't on the throne. You know, when John was on the Isle of Patmos, banished and entombed almost on a, a horrible rock, he sees Jesus high and lifted up and sitting on the throne. And has the most amazing revelation, which he then says, wow, you are alive and you are in control, Lord. And so in the midst of, and I don't say this lightly, because for some of us, you've had some bad news. Or you're concerned about something at work. Or you're so stressed out, you feel like giving up. So I'm not saying these things lightly. But in the midst of those challenges, the good news is this. We can know Jesus, the Holy Spirit. God right here, right now. And you know, this is what happens, and this is the good news, um, and with this we close. It says there that in the midst of prison, you knew the presence and power of God. I'm going to recommend, you probably read this book, some of you, I'm going to recommend an amazing book. If you want to read something for the beginning of this year, it's called The Heavenly Man. If you've read that, would you just indicate to me if you've read that book? Oh, quite a lot of you have. That's amazing. This is an amazing book, isn't it? it take, excuse me. It, you're, you're, you're allowed to reply now. Is, is, is this an amazing book? Those of you who've read this. I read this years ago, and I'm reading it again. I'm about to read it, embarking on reading it again. It's about a guy called um, Brother Yun. It's Chinese. He, um, he's called the Heavenly Man. Because when asked by the authorities, he was, he was being, uh, the secret police were after him. And the authorities were saying, who, what's your name, where are you from? If he'd given them his name and where he was from in this apartment block that he was in, um, they would have, the secret police would have known the underground church he was with and the other people. So he ends up shouting to let the people know in the next flat, it's in, it's in the book, he, he, he said to the secret, the, the secret police, I'm a heavenly man. And then that name stuck. He wasn't, he wasn't being big-headed. He shouted it so the others could run away. And, they heard. and then this name stuck to him after that. They called him the heavenly man. This is, uh, this is an amazing biography of him being in prison and tortured. And some of the miracles that you'll read in here, when I first read it, I thought, did we really? No. You know, jumping out, breaking a leg and still being able to run away. Uh, you know, jumping out of windows, all sorts. Incredible, and it's sort of been verified. But the greatest thing aren't the miracles in this, which there are many, and the, the sheer terror and torture that he went through as a Christian, but the fact that he loved Jesus even more while he was in prison and saw him and experienced and knew him than, than when he had freedom. And it's been an inspiration to countless Christians. If you want to read a book to sort of set, set your heart, 
And it, it would be quite taxing in the sense you think, oh, did that happen? That's terrible. Oh, God, thank you for my life. But it's full of miracles, it's full, but it's full of Jesus. And the most of all, he's a very humble man. He, saying the heavenly man, he, didn't, he wanted to be just a nobody. But he said, Jesus is the everyone. This is an incredible book. Uh, you can... No, I'm not selling it, so I've not got any commission on it or anything like that. Once I've read it again, if somebody wants to borrow it off me, you can, but you get it off Amazon, and I'm sure you can get a second-hand copy or something like that, or someone that's already read it will lend it to you. But The Heavenly Man, I think published by Monarch at the time, is a fantastic book to read about knowing God in prison. And that's why I wanted to tell you that, because it's something that's recent, not just in the Bible. You say, oh, it's in the Bible. Yeah, of course it is. But something that's so recent, it's incredible. God bless you. Thank you for listening. The worship team will come back. That'll be amazing. We're going to pray together as we close this morning. And so for you and I, you know, it's, it's, it's our relationship with God is everything. It's building that up and, and so, that we, so that our hearts, you know, he ran from the house. It's in our hearts and in our minds. And so it's keeping our eyes on those things that are of heaven, not of this earth. It's, it's being prepared for accusation, but holding on to Jesus. And when we do, we'll know the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will experience, we will experience miracles as a church, I'm sure and other Christians this year. And around the world, amazing things are happening. I went to a, a meeting of, uh, as an area meeting of Elam churches. The pandemic's been difficult, but there are some beautiful stories of God redeeming, saving, healing, growing. It's quite amazing. Some amazing things happening in the Holy Spirit around all parts of our region and not just our, our network of churches, I'm sure in many other churches as well. And it's to know that in, even in the prison, we can know the presence of God. And I don't know what your challenge is right now. I do know the challenge of quite a number, but not everyone. But whatever your challenge is right now, you may know the presence, the power of Jesus in your life. Let's just reach out to him. Father God, this morning, we come to you with open hearts. And we say, Jesus, you're as relevant today as ever because you're the living God. Thank you for what you did, your death and resurrection, and taking my place. Thank you for what you can do now through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And thank you for the hope of a future that's not out of control. The world isn't spiralling. Whatever the doctor says to me, I'm in your hands, oh God. My future is in your hands. Our church, our nation. And so we give our lives afresh to you, Jesus, this morning. And say, oh, Holy Spirit, forgive me if I've been far from you. Forgive me, Father God, if I've strayed. Forgive me, Father God, if I've drifted. I know my own self, I've had to pray. I've prayed a number of months now for my own personal drift. And I say, oh, Lord Jesus, I want to be in the flow of your spirit. I give you my life again this morning. I submit and yield to you, Holy Spirit, that you might have your way. Lord Jesus, will you come and be master, Lord of my life? I pray that in my heart and mind, I'll be fixed on all of that you say for my life. I'm defined by you and what heaven says, not what this world says and what the world would say I have to do and conform to, but who you are and who I am in you. There's an opportunity and possibility in all of that. And so, Father, we say, Jesus, take my life. Let it be consecrated, given to you this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will come with fresh power, fresh release. Pray for prison doors to be opened. As Andrew led us this morning in, in breaking off the old chains, in releasing the old grave clothes, the old clothes, they've gone. 
now we put on fresh clothes, freedom, release, hope. And if it means that I'll be in a dark place, I want to see your light and life in the midst of that dark place. Jesus, we pray. Pray this morning, Father, for people who are feeling sick, who are worried and concerned about their lives and hearts and for livelihoods and people stressed at work, people grieving and in pain, marriage relationships, people in the place of decision with temptation. This morning we come to you. Forgive me and fill me, I pray. In your name I ask. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand together as we now we're not just going to sing a final song as we sing it's allowing the Holy Spirit to seal something in our hearts I'm not I'm not not a very good cook but when you when you cook you seal the meat or whatever it is I don't know but there's something about sealing letting God touch our hearts and say yes and amen and so as we pray this morning and open our hearts let the yes and amen and you know, even if you feel, yeah, 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 I pray, yeah, yeah. Allow the Spirit of God. Let God do it. Let God do it. In Jesus' name. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing.